0: Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast, presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who, along with Daryl Morey, co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening, and enjoy.
1: Hello, everyone.
2: Did that work? Oh, there you go. Hello, everyone, and thanks again for joining us at the 2022 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Zach Schmitz, and I'm a first-year MBA student at MIT. It's my pleasure to introduce our panel, The Future of the Fan. Our panelists today are Paul Kane, president of On Location, Tom Garfinkel, CEO of the Miami Dolphins, Jessica Gelman, CEO of the Craft Analytics Group, and Kim Pagula, co-owner of the Buffalo Bills and Buffalo Sabres. Our panel will be moderated by Abe Madcor from the Sports Business Journal, The panel will be 55 minutes, and please submit all of your questions on Twitter using the hashtag futureofthefan. And with that, over to you, Abe.
3: Thanks a lot. How about giving it up for Zach for that great introduction and all the students who are doing a great job here. I think this is live. Good to see everybody. We got a great panel. We're gonna bring a lot of energy. I want your questions early and often because we will ask them of the group here. And I wanna also recognize, how about the work of Jessica Gelman in doing this event? All right, give it up for Jess. All right, though, we have an easy, easy topic, the future of the fan, of the future fan. And I think there's so many things that we talked about this morning that fit into this. So I'll jumpstart the conversation with a question and I'll throw it to Jessica Gelman first. What does the fan of the New England Patriots look like and act like in 2035?
0: I'm going to take it away from the Patriots. Okay. And I'll do the NFL overall. You know, one of the things that's been the most interesting that we've seen during the pandemic is the changes in behaviors of fans. So there's a couple different dimensions. First is consumption of the fan. It's meaningfully moved to different types of not just linear. There's lots of digital. There's lots of highlights. There, so pe- we're, people are talking about a decline in viewership, maybe in a form of viewership, but overall, I think the consumption and engagement is significantly higher. I think that's a positive. Mm. As we think about the product, the product itself, uh, I'm talking about the field. Obviously, you know, there was a couple good games during the playoffs. Uh, went into overtime. Sorry about that, Kim. It was a phenomenal game. Um, And uh, so the product is great on the field, but what happened during the pandemic is that the in-venue experience improved so significantly. Mobile ticketing uh, went from, I think, maybe like 15 teams to all the teams. Um, So lots of new data captured about the customers, cashless payment in venues, huge, again, much better experience starting to happen for fans because the, the people running the teams, the owners of the teams, they know who is actually coming to the games, which they hadn't. You used to know what one in three or one in four. So that is great. And then the last, the last component is the fan themselves. I, I think a younger fan, a newer fan, was at least identified. And because there were a, a, year, a year of restricted attendance, some of the older NFL fans maybe didn't come to games. And so a new fan was able to come to game, games, a younger fan, and that was really, that was really powerful. So in, in 2032, um, I think we will see the NFL still as the most powerful league um, because, of what, of, because of the reaching out and reaching down that has happened in a really powerful way in terms of engaging. The, the NFL is the only league where attendance went up this past year. Um, from, from 2019. So I think the NFL will still be um, the league leader. I think we will have lots of new ways to consume. Uh, we've talked about virtual reality. I think that will be a thing. I'm interested to hear how Tom will tell me that that won't be a thing. Uh, I think that the, ga- the in-game, people going to the games will still be critical. Um, and I think consumption will be um, multi-channel as it is today, but pot- potentially even more significantly.
3: Who
4: else?
0: A- the, Abe, I know for
4: Bills fans that it's going to be—we're going to go from a folding table to the future of the fan it's going to be like a conference table. Okay, like, I like I that. Gonna, I think we're going to elevate our, our fans uh, 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 definitely.
3: More, more room there for Paula <laughs> to jump on. But hopefully, by I, we know that by then, you'll be in a sparkling new venue. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in upstate New York. But what does it look like? How do they, will these buildings be smaller? Will there be more premium? Will their experiences be different? Anyone, jump ball.
2: I can't speak to the stadiums because I'm not building stadiums. Kim's building a stadium. I, I think that if anything, the fans want more from their experiences and they want more from what they get when they walk into the building to when they walk out. It's how they're treated, it's, all, it's the hospitality they have, it's the way their seat feels, it's their vantage point of the, uh, the field. Great example is SoFi. SoFi is a beautiful new stadium. It's one of the most beautiful ones in the world. And, uh, and they took great care in the way that they designed their pitch, the way they look at uh, every seat has a view of the field and also a view of the screen um the sound the food everything just really played a big role and you could tell that the fan experience there has been kind of extraordinary and i think that's where the fan is driving they're looking for that
4: and i definitely i definitely think you know i was at super bowl got uh, got a tour of SoFi, and for as beautiful as it is in la right that wouldn't really work in buffalo and i think that's the beauty of of the fans, like our fans are so expansive. You go from like you know five-year-olds to like ninety-nine-year-olds, and everyone and everything in between. And I think what I love about the NFL and you know working on a new stadium uh, is the fact that you you it doesn't have to be a cookie cutter, right? Like so, what works in SoFi and the beautiful things that they have, um, you know, we're going to do something that's more maybe geared towards our fan base, our climate, right? is one in um, our market. But I think we have a lot of fans and and Tom knows that travel. And I think they like being able to go to and experiencing different products, different mixes, different stadiums, different experiences. Like it's not anymore just your market comes to your games. It's the fan goes and travels everywhere. And having different stadiums of different sizes from different markets, I think is a huge plus.
3: Huge story in the NFL, of course, about the traveling fan bases. Tom, your thoughts?
1: Well, I I think it's a little bit of both. I think some things, you know, are fundamental and some things are really going to evolve and change. If if you think about what's fundamental, I think we learned even before the pandemic, you know, I watch teenagers, kids on, on growing up with these devices on social media, and there's a lot of isolation already before the pandemic. And, and it's why things like Coachella are so popular, Rolling Loud. They might be taking selfies of themselves while they're there, but they're physically present. I think it's a it's fundamental human need to physically experience life together. It, it, you, you become lonely and depressed. They have these, these blue zones of people that live over 100 years old, and, and one of the fundamental things they learn about you know, how they live so long is because it's a, it's a truly social it's a social environment in these different places in the world where they have these zones where people live that long. So I think it's fundamental what we do is important that people gather physically to experience life together. I don't think that's gonna change. I think in fact, it, it's gonna become, and we've experienced this through the pandemic, it's, it's as important or more important than ever. I think when you look at what's gonna change, um, for me, I mean, I'm not an economist, but the world is changing rapidly, you know, socioeconomically and otherwise i kind of call it the the great migration what's happening in miami right now in places like nashville austin texas um phoenix montana and then with you know people leaving new york california illinois uh, and people staying like i grew up in california i love california uh, but i know a lot of people and i have a lot of friends that have left i know a lot of people that have left new york city and and through the pandemic and otherwise are changing the way they work they live their priorities how they want to spend their time right how Time is a very valuable thing, and I think people value that even younger people are valuing it even more than ever. So, what does that mean for the fan in 2032? I think there's there's going to be migration. There's going to be a lot of differentiation by market of these venues. Um, There's a lot more fragmentation, um, and then there's fragmentation, you know, economically as well. So, where we used to have three homogeneous seating products, you know, sort of sit in a seat next to two people, sit in a cushioned seat next to two people, or be back in a corporate suite with 20 people or something. Now you're gonna have just an array, and we've started doing this with multiple seating products, multiple different experiences, different ways to experience these events uh, with a group of two people, with a group of five people. How do you take the tailgate experience when you have your 20 best friends and bring it into the stadium so you continue that into the stadium uh, across all different price points? And and the luxury cu- customer now expects and wants something an experience that's, you know, perfect, and but you still have to provide an experience for the hardcore everyday fan that wants to come out and experience these events with other humans too. So it's. It's an array of things and you've got to provide all of these things, I think, moving forward. So that's real segmentation, which is challenging.
0: Yeah, well, I, the other thing that you're seeing, I mean, Tom, you led this in Miami, what, maybe a decade ago, where there has to be this massive reinvestment into the venues. You're, you're about to go through this. Um, the Crafts are doing it with Gillette Stadium right now, building out several new premium areas, um, you know, based on what they're seeing happening. Two years ago, before, before COVID hit, it was like, we need more gathering areas in right. stadiums. Right. And so that's shifting. Um, but I, you asked the question, I do think there is a bifurcation going on. There's going to be more of the premium hospitality, the stuff that Paul is doing in a meaningful way because people want personal, personalized experiences and the other, on the other side, there's going to be more of this get in the door. We're seeing lots of these like, membership subscription-type concepts that are coming to bear. This is outside the NFL and other leagues that I think is important and valuable and will continue to accelerate. It'll be less thrills. So you're going to have like, more mint uh, JetBlue and then more uh, you know, Southwest, and, and, and the, the, the venues and the owners are going to have to make those adjustments.
2: Yeah, but the experience, um, to, I want to build off of what you're saying and what Kim was saying before too, is that the experience is more than just what's happening in your seat. It goes on forever. It's the, the, in our world, at least at On Location, the experience starts from the moment you decide you want to go, um, because that's when your experience journey begins, because you're starting to think about it and conceptualize it, and then ultimately, after you've done it, what everything you've done along the way crystallizes that into the experience. You know, we, we call that our purchase to memory concept is that that's our product is when you decide you want to go to when you come home and talk about it. So the demand that fans have is how, do, how can I have that experience beyond the seat? And that's where the relationship with the, with the sport, with the team, with the uh, idea matters. So um, lots of NFL fans, as we know, travel. So how we travel them how we uh, welcome them into new markets, what kind of experiences that we can do. We just finished the Super Bowl. We handled friends and family for the, uh, for the Bengals, as an example, and we watched their journey go way beyond the stadium. So it's, it's, it's a full comprehensive product that we have to think about. So to answer the question about where's the fan 10 years from now, it's, a, it's gonna be, uh, like all businesses, they're gonna be in a lot of control. They're gonna make a lot of choices with their dollars and their time, the two most valuable assets they have, and make those choices based on who is hearing their demands the most i do want to point out it's not just about a luxury customer because you have to redefine what luxury is it's about the customer some for some people you they'll spend uh like a hundred thousand dollars because they made it that morning and others are spending five or five hundred dollars but it's taken them a whole year to save for that so you have to respect how they enter into the fan or into the moment and not just establish that based on the price they're paying. So you have to respect that journey throughout that entire process. So it
3: sounds to me like it will still be a very much focused on a live shared experience in a venue. So it doesn't become purely studio sports. It sounds to me like it's going to be, like you said, Jess, bifurcated a little bit, segmented, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's not gonna be purely elitist, it doesn't sound like. It
2: can't be, it can't be, I mean look, we learned, I, I spent a lot of my career in media, like you did, Abe, and, and I can tell you that if people can, they will be there live. They will. If they can't be there live, they'll watch it or they'll read about it or they'll listen to it. But they're first, they want to be there live. And uh, they, that's what, you know, so, so that's the way a fan leans in. It's just, you have to decide how you want to bring them into it.
1: Have you, ever, have you ever watched a great moment in sports and for whatever reason, you were alone? <laughs> Yes. Or, or a great moment, and, you know, I remember I was watching Game of Thrones, you know, with my wife a few years back, whatever. And for whatever reason, she was out of town, and I, I cheated and watched it without her. And it happened to be the Red Wedding episode. And I was like, I jumped up. I was like, <laughs> no, no, like, I couldn't believe it. And I thought to myself, this sucks that I'm watching this by myself, you know. And so if you've ever been and, and had to watch a sporting event on TV, some, a team you love, something that you love and you're alone, it's just not the same thing. So the community of it and the energy of it is different when it's live. And when, whether you're live or whether you're watching it, if you're watching it with a group of people live in the moment, it's different than watching it after the fact or you know, by yourself.
4: I, I also think, Abe, you know, as we talk about you know, whether you have the, the super fan that wants the cheap tickets or you've got a luxury box fan, uh, the idea is that we're not competing with Another club. We're not competing with another league. We're we're competing with technology, the Ubers. We're mm. competing with you know DoorDash, right? Like you know who who knew DoorDash was going to be so? I mean, I'm I'm paying extra money to get food delivered to me when it's literally like a half a mile down the street, right? Just change behaviors have changed. So, um, so we have to be aware that the things that we put, whether it's in our stadium or out of the stadium, the experiences um, have to apply to. A, a base set of things that fans expect, no matter what product that, that or what price line that they're doing because they want things easy, right? right. They, they, they don't want to complicate it. Complicated. They want to access. And, and if you want to make it, personalize it and segmenting it, that every fan want, wants to feel a part of a big group, but they also want personalization. personalization. Yeah, and, yeah, and they have a base set level of expectations that they're going to have from from clubs, and that's, like I said, in competition with everything else that we have going on in our world.
3: So Kim makes a really good point. So let me ask the two day-in and day-out team leaders, so Tom and Kim, when you hear from your fans and they say, in the future, I wish as a fan of the Bills or the Dolphins I could do this, or this was easier for me as a fan, what is it?
4: Get, Get warm? So, no. so it's comfort, <laughs> yeah, it's, feature, yeah, it's, it's comfort. It's yeah, comfort, um, yeah, comfort isn't, yeah.
1: Isn't that part of the experience though of going to a game in Buffalo? I mean, Are I Are you sitting outside in Buffalo?
4: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. we okay. have okay. had okay. a lot of yeah.
4: December games with us. Yes. It's the
1: only, I'll just say, it's the only venue we go to where uh, the opposing fans actually moon us huh. right in front of our suite. It's great. <laughs> At least you get a suite though, that's good. Well, it's sort of a, yeah. It you is. remember yeah. that, Kim. Oh, yeah. Next year, yeah. put him a, but in. But I'll the say man. this in all seriousness, it, it is a great place to watch a football game. It's intimate, it's loud, the fans are into it. You know, th- there's intimacy there, and the energy there is palpable every time we play there. So I, I think that the point of that is again, they're all very different. You know, some of them are bigger. Some, You know, you go to Dallas, it's very different than going to Buffalo, the, the new stadium in LA, Atlanta. Um, every place you go is very different, and I think the fans are different, and the markets are different, and I think they should, they should, I think they'll stay that way.
3: But in terms of is it ingress, egress? Is it elasticity of pricing? Is it still food and beverage? Is there any other
1: theme that the future of the fan experience will be far more? S- it's all of the above, because yeah. they have alternatives, you know, um, and it's all of the above, and, and it's something we work hard at every day, whether it's the line at the bathroom, the ingress, egress, You know, we put pedestrian bridges and tunnels in to alleviate traffic to make it easier for people to get in and out. It's their tailgate experience. It's, it's their experience in the venue. It's you know, people are, young people today are watching. I talked to Bob Chapik about this at Disney. He was saying, you know, his kids sit around and they've got four different screens going on while they're watching something at once. That's fun. Um, You know, there's shorter attention spans, but there's a lot of engagement, which is good. Um, So I think from that standpoint, you know, when I was 20 three years old or whatever, I was living in Chicago and I'd spend all Sunday you know, with a group of friends and we'd go to high tops and we'd watch football all day. And you know, you don't do that anymore, like 23 year olds. They don't necessarily go watch the entire game every minute of the game. They've got all kinds of different things going on, but they're still very engaged um, and in some ways more engaged. And I, th- I think that's an opportunity. Question from
3: the audience, it's a good one. I said I'd get to them early, so let's get right at it. The pandemic made us realize how important it is to nurture our non-ticket buying fans as well. So in what ways do you see teams uh, effectively fulfilling the fans of the future in this practice? So non-ticket buying fans, what will their experience be in the future? I
0: I mean, NFTs obviously has been a a pretty hot topic already today. there was a bunch that was done within the NFL this year, the most significant with Ticketmaster, uh, where they were providing them to every uh, person who attended a game when they attended a game. Um, And that was a pretty basic utility. There wasn't something that you necessarily got from it. But from my perspective, I think NFTs are a massive future loyalty program. And it won't just be for coming to games. I think um, fans who are not currently maybe able to attend games will be able to earn uh value from nfts and the different types of efforts that they make to have the utility to get access potentially to come to games um that that is a huge area of focus but the other thing that we saw during the pandemic and i think paul you can probably speak the best to this is that um the 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 teams were engaging more with content of what of with, like videos and having experiences, meet and greets, things that they may have historically done in person they were now doing digitally, which allowed it to reach a lot more people. And it still felt personalized because you could ask questions in a chat and-
2: Yeah. No, we th- th- um, just building on that, we we saw a big rise in our virtual business. And in we have a platform called On Location Live, which allows, we. In the non-sports world, typically music, entertainment, culture, where uh, musicians will play acoustic, or give meet and greets, or give tours of their houses, or bring them into the studio. Those kinds of unique, intimate moments really were designed. We built this during the pandemic, by the way. We launched it uh, in, in the beginning of the pandemic for the purpose of making t- maintain that connection for some of our artists that were work, that needed work. But the key thing that we were the insight we were building off of was that. Uh, any form of entertainment, whether it's sports, music, culture, whatever it is, the old model was that there was a big barrier between the stage and the uh, fan. And that barrier has been eliminated through social. The expectation now is that there's a real relationship. And the ones who do it really well utilize social channels and other channels to maintain and build a dialogue so that they are listening as well as speaking. That's new. That's being now moved into more sports where the fan, because they feel like in some ways, they feel like an owner. Sometimes they are an owner, they are fantasy owners and they and, play like owners. Yeah.
4: And, and right? they tweet like one. And
2: they tweet <laughs> like them and they get angry they and all of yeah. that. And then the same time uh, is feeling like sometimes an owner, they feel like they want to participate. They feel like they earned the right to have a relationship with the team, the players, uh, and the experience. Uh, so utilize. So even though you're not a ticket buyer, there are many touch points that you can bring into it. That's why the draft is so good, because it really is the most democratized access to the league is through the draft. Um, Some of the the other celebrations, look what happened in LA. I mean, the fans went, many of the fans did not go to the stadium and they felt like they were part of the game.
4: I, I don't know if there's anyone here from the Seattle Kraken or not in the audience, but um, Seattle, so.
3: Seattle, I see a hand. Okay, I see well, a crack
4: in the up. I, I, was told, I was told this, so it, it's rumor, that they have a program in which they have a membership loyalty program for non-ticket. You know, we focus on a season ticket holder, right, yep. and all the benefits that we give a season ticket holder. But they actually have a program focused on non-ticket buying um, fans where they embrace them and they get to be part of of the team. And, and they get treated, you know in a way, collectively together, but the expectation of them buying a ticket is is just totally off. It's just, hey, come into our, our larger family of, of fans. And I thought it was a great idea. I just, um, you know, we, we don't do it yet, but I know that's something that we're looking into. But um, I was told that Seattle does that, and I don't know if other clubs do it or not, but I think that's just another way of engaging our fans, all the different fans that we have even if they're not ticket buyers. Well,
0: and I, I just, sorry, real quick, just wanted to add, but also the data that's available on those fans today and the information that we have at our fingertips to be able to, oh, you 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 do this, we, there's tons of customer lifetime value models that could be built. You came in through ch- this channel, we have historically season ticket members who have converted that have come in through this channel and here's the value they've created. And so. All of this net new data that honestly was driven by the teams being more aggressive with outreaching during the pandemic is hugely impactful and powerful.
2: Well, think about the fans that, of your, both of your franchises that spend currency that's not in tickets, they buy uniforms, yep. they watch, they give you rating points. They uh, do a lot to engage with your brand, with your, with your franchises without actually owning a ticket. Those are important fans.
1: Well, I, I, th- I think, too, the, the customers, the fans are empowered more now. They, they're organically creating their own experiences. So whether that's through technology, you know, they're able to gather. We have, you know, we're very fortunate to have fans in a lot of different places. And, you know, there's a there's a fan club of Rhode Island. There's a fan club of New York that gets together, and, and, and they call it the MetLife Takeover, and, and they literally buy you know, 2,000 tickets at MetLife, and they all sit together and they tailgate together. And you go to the parking lot at MetLife before we play the Jets every year, and there's 2,000 Dolphins fans together, because they're they're able to aggregate themselves through social media and other methods. And then and there's a bar in New York City called Slattery's, that's like the Dolphins bar. And so I think fans are creating their own experiences, whether they buy tickets or not. They're aggregating, they're gathering, and and all the different ways to engage on the content they're they're finding ways to do it on their own and then we we watch this and say oh that's cool how do we get how do we help enhance that now that they've put this together we build relationships with something they've organically created on their own
3: all morning i've been hearing about nfts i'm not an expert but i'll ask you tom what do you see as a utility of NFTs from, as a team leader, I know Jess mentioned the experiment this year on the ticketing side, and Michael Rubin and Gary V were talking about it as a huge asset in ticketing. But where else do you see the utility?
1: Yeah, I don't know that I can add much to what Gary V or Michael would say about NFTs, but I, I mean, I can say from a blockchain technology standpoint, envision where you know we own a ticket. It's essentially like owning a, 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 a you know a house or something. We rent the house to somebody. And then we don't, you know, through, through Ticketmaster, through data, we now know if they sublease it out to somebody else, kind of who that person is. But through blockchain technology, we could actually take you know, a piece of every transaction. We would have that data in a more robust way. So I think you know, blockchain technology is gonna drive ticketing in the future, and, and, um, and there's gonna be opportunities for both consumers and you know, venues asset holders, whatever, to, to, to use it in the right way. And the NFTs are part of that. There, there's opportunities to create all kinds of different content around NFTs that become valuable. Um, and again, I, you know, without getting too... I mean, I, I, I don't know if there's much I can add to what Gary Vee and, and, and Michael already said. They're kind of the experts on it. I,
0: don't, I think we're pretty far away from blockchain um, with ticketing. And I say this because if we look at, say, mobile wallet, 10 years ago, it had you know maybe 200 million people that were on it. Now it's you know 15x that, so that's about 50% of mobile users who are who are on it. Versus like crypto today is 100 million, so it's less. So even if you look ahead, that's only like maybe one and a half billion if you do that 15x, and that's 20% in you know. of of what we're thinking about. That to me is like, I don't know if there's enough adoption. Um, You know, we for Kager are doing an NFT for SSAC and (laughs) the process for, for me to get a wallet, get the NFT, you know, I had to make sure I was using the right blockchain. There's no interoperability across blockchains. I think we're pretty far away from ticketing driving blockchain. I'd like to think it's possible, but I think, I mean, it's it's a little we're far away from it
3: i want to ask the question of the audience please raise your hand coming out of covid raise your hand if your sports fandom has decreased decreased that's awesome so everybody here is a stronger sports fan that is good news
0: hey selection bias selection bias (laughs)
3: question for the panel the future of the fan is it more tied or less tied to sports gambling
2: I'll tell you firsthand account. I, I saw an increase just at the Super Bowl. I was blown away by this. I didn't actually expect this at all. In our top ticket buyers, uh, we have a section called On the 50, which is where our most expensive tickets went. And they went for any, you know, upwards of 50 to $100,000 per ticket. It was like an ext- that, that group. The amount of people gambling from their seats blew my mind. Uh, and there was a row of people that were sitting literally across the whole row all wearing um, basically uniforms of casino uniform and they were sent from a casino clearly and they were gambling from their seat. The reason why it was amazing and I talked to a few of them to say like what what make this different? They said that the Wi-Fi connection in the stadium was so good that they were able to do that where a lot of stadiums they weren't able to do that. To me that was an incredible insight as like wow that note of providing that service, of being able to do that from the seat, is something that will attract a really unique buyer. It felt like, in portions, it wasn't the whole section, by the way, it wasn't Bedlam, but it was portions of it. It felt like that, they, that was their version of the sports book. Instead of watching on TV with multiple screens, they were in their seats watching the sports book and gambling from their seat. It was kind of a moment.
1: Yeah, 5G will help that as well because you can't have latency if you think about it, right? So if you used to go to Vegas to a sports book and bet the spread on a game or something, now it's more the prop bets. It goes back to the short attention spans and, mm-hmm. you know, is it going to be a run or a pass? Is the next pitch going to be a ball or a strike? You can't have latency if you're going to you're going right. to bet on that in the moment. So it's just it's really I think it's about engagement and another reason to engage. Uh, if, if anybody's been to a baseball game, you sit there with a friend and you bet whether, you know, when the umpire throws the ball back at the end of the inning, whether it's going to stay on the mound or, or roll off the mound, right? And so, you know, people people are doing it. I don't know. I think they've already been doing it. I think they can use technology to do it and, and engage more frequently as a result.
4: New York State, I mean, right. oh, close to over a billion dollars in handles in, in a month, five weeks, right? I say five yeah. weeks, six So weeks. Uh, the fact that, you know, I know that's across all the sports in New York State, but the fact that that's just one state, and, you know, there's not that many sports teams in the state of New York, but the fact that you have that kind of engagement, you can't get that in attendance in a stadium, right? I mean, you can't, so you've got you've to believe that it is helping with the engagement, like, like Tom said, and there's new adopters coming into the game, if just to bet and, and kind of learn and understand. And then other, others that are not just, you know, they're a fan of one team, but, you know, they've got skin in the game. Like um, Paul talked about ownership, like, actually have like dollars on, on outcomes and so they feel empowered and I, I got to think that that only helps you know really in, increase the fandom and bring more people to the game
3: what's the difference now that you've been around both organizations for some so many years uh, for a few years Kim between a Sabres fan and a Bills fan in terms of their behavior and in terms of their actions yeah
4: for for us you know I I had a I have a hard job so I've got one team that's you know Building and another team that's kind of you know peaking, so it, it's hard to you know you got to adapt um, for for two different you know groups. But I would say, you know, we don't have a ton of crossover, actually, believe it or not, in terms of we have a few, but not as many as you would think that living in the same market, that they would, you know, be a, a ticket buyer to both. Uh, to both. But I would say there is um, the NFLs, the platforms, the, the amount of data, the um, engagement that the league and clubs all do and the national games and the broadcast um, eyeballs on it, it just... Um, it amplifies that engagement so much more than um, than I think hockey does yet, and and I think hockey did a great job of going with ESPN and getting into streaming right, and right. and taking those steps. But um, just the NFL, I think, just the just the larger audience um, just encompasses a, just a
0: bigger fan base. I think what the NFL did, we you know we. Um, We we oversee the integrated ticketing platform for the NFL, which um, all the the teams have access to, and it is um, pulling all of the ticketing data, the primary and the secondary Ticketmaster um, StubHub. But that has given the NFL and the team such a huge advantage. I mean, this year alone, um, you know, they identified four million new customer names. Uh, The three previous years, I mean, it's basically equal to the three previous years. So the NFL is providing and enabling tools to help the teams nurture, grow, and manage those fans better. And and that's a big differentiator. And that's, again, why the NFL is succeeding.
3: Jess, you and I have talked a lot about this. At times, you've expressed some concern about uh, the rate of attendance. Uh, the, I would say the consistency in attendance and voice some concern that we could see some sort of attendance, attendance erosion across sports. As we sit here in March 22, how do you feel about the overall next year or 24 months?
0: I'm, <laughs> I mean, for, from how, how we look at it or how I think about it, it's about knowing who your customer is, period, full stop. And if you're not engaging your customer in the right way and making them aware of opportunities and personalizing those communications through segmentation, then it's going to be challenging to keep them. And again, the NFL was the only league that had an increase in attendance this year. Now there's reasons why. I mean, we, you know, there's new stadiums that opened and things like that. But I mean, in the other leagues, we're sometimes seeing, I mean, 10, 15% decline. And it has to be about Capturing that the customer names again. This is data and analytics, and using um, tools to drive. You know, we our our partnership with the Eagles was just announced today. They are sold out, but they're planning. I mean, that's innovative. They're planning for um, to engage their fans to get more of them to have that broader those broader programs. And I and and their biggest focus was around fan segmentation and activation tools. We want to know who they are. And we want to be able to communicate quickly and directly with them.
3: To get them to, to, the, to engage them, you know. to get them
0: to the games. But I think, I'm, I mean, we are seeing generally, I think, smaller venues, and that's been happening for a while. Um, uh-huh. But I think that's also because the moving pe- taking people out of the stadiums means that there's less issues with ingress and egress. There's less lines and things like that. We're, it's just the expectations from fans has changed. And
3: Tom, when you did that renovation at Hard Rock, I mean, you did so many different elements. What was the one element that you were surprised you heard the most positive like feedback from fans in terms of a, a new enhancement?
1: Um, that's interesting. I think people just just appreciate it. Well, first of all, I think I think the thing people appreciate the most was the shade. You know.
3: Yeah. So it gets <laughs> it's, back to it's
1: really hot. It, it gets back to some of the fundamentals. Right. Getting in and out easier. Yep. The shade, no lines in the bathrooms. You know, we, we created different products and seating experiences and things that that you know didn't exist um, prior to the renovation. But um, and certainly for the luxury customers, I think some of the things we did were you know they were pleasantly surprised they could come in and out with no traffic and the big chairs and the food and everything that they had. But I I think it was really the fundamentals that they appreciated the most. You know, just the the opportunity to to, to be in the shade, to have good food, to get in and out easily, to, to not have lines, to have clean bathrooms, to have friendly guest services people to help them. Ultimately, it came back to that really was the most significant. Basic block, not
3: basic blocking and tackling, but the fundamentals of the sports or the fan experience.
1: You know? Taking taking out the pain points, right? And taking right. out bad seats, taking out the, the traffic, taking out lines, taking out yeah, you know, just taking out the pain points and making it seamless for people and and, and easy and fun. Go ahead, you're in the live. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was going
2: <laughs> to. I thought you were going to ask me a question. I was going to say that what you did really well was eliminate the friction points. You really did, because um, as a, as someone who loves your stadium, it was it's it's made it a nice experience. Which Thank you. It, did a so, great job, but well, what we did is, what we've been doing and focusing on, and this goes back to what Jessica and I talk about a lot, is how much do we know about the customer in order to establish what those friction points are? How do we better understand the customer? That's where the, uh, Kager comes in, in a lot of partnerships across the league, and my company too, is the more you understand what customers want, the more you can deliver it, because it eliminates the mystery.
1: There's one other thing, too, I'll bring up that I think is important, and is, is Kim goes to do a new stadium and these things happen. We, we literally reset the entire seating bowl. So over time, um, you know, seating, t- season tickets evolved to where, you know, some force good seats come open and instead of, you know, moving somebody in there, you, you sell them because they're your best seats. We were able to, to literally really use CRM to try to find cells of people. And then as we went out to sell to sell the new tickets and place people in their new seats, we went out by tenure, so the nineteen sixty six. You know, I think there was maybe nine hundred uh, to start. You start there, but we were very deliberate about trying to put people together who wanted to sit with each other. Mm. So instead of just being again in the in the lot with twenty people, and then you go into the game and you're sitting with you know, four people and everybody disperses into their different season tickets. We tried to figure out if we could get those 20 people. We spent like a year really building through CRM, who do you tailgate with, and like doing all this research on our season ticket base so that we, and then through CRM, try to marry people together so that we could sit them next to each other in the bowl. Interesting. Which creates a lot more stickiness, win or lose, right? Because now they're having experience with their neighbors, their friends, their kids, whatever where now they're sitting next to each other. So it was a real unique opportunity to try to do that because it's really hard to do that you know, as things evolve over time. And I think that was something they appreciated, that they're like, wow, I'm sitting with all the people I know. How did this happen? I'll tell you what the fans don't want is
2: just to feel like they're just paying more for, for nothing. I mean, it's, it, nobody, nobody likes the feeling of being sold or feels like the feeling that they got ripped off. Um, but they love the feeling of indulgence and they wanna feel that feeling of value, regardless of the price point. So because of that human need of feeling that, that's where the touch points really do matter. So it's understanding everything about that fan of what they want, and more importantly, over-delivering on it. And the most important way to over-deliver is through human kindness, human uh, touch, in t- not physically necessarily, but uh, in terms of just the details, making sure that they, that they feel like the gratitude was there. And that's what really separates from a like a three-star hotel experience to a five-star hotel experience. Often, it's the touches that make the difference.
4: I, I was I was just going to say that at the end of the day, whether we're you know in a in another universe altogether or in in a digital world and all of that, that, I mean, the fan will decide, right, if that works or not, right, or when it works. So the fans will decide that. But it all goes comes down to, it's the people, it's the human beings, we're all, at the end of the day, every fan is a human being. And Tom, I was gonna compliment you because you know I, I, I know my experience is a little bit different coming in as a visiting owner, but regardless of how much you put into the stadium and all that, the fact that I, I have the same security guard, Victor, and that is there every game, every year, and that I have the same concessionaire um, uh, suite service attendant, like that, that makes the whole game for me because it's humans. It's people that I know, I look forward to, I ask about, and I can always count on them. So again, back to all, you know, we can talk a lot about a lot that it, yeah. stuff. But yeah. the end of the day, as Paul said, it's, it's people and thinking about people first.
0: The, the last thing I was going to say, I mean, Kim, especially as you're going into the stadium build, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, is that what the fans want does change. And so, you know, we've talked with some with some clients and prospects who are thinking, who are on, on a similar path. And the key thing that they talk about is flexibility. We, there's uh, one NBA arena that said, you know, we everyone had clubs in the middle um, of the arena. And uh, now no one wants to have those seats, and they, but they don't have flexibility. That's not how the venue was designed. And so that becomes how, how can you not do one-size-fits-all? All of the venues in the NFL are different in some form. They all have little things that are unique to them. But I think this, we talk about customizing and personalizing communications but it's the same thing specifically for what for what the bills need and by the way it's probably going to change in 10 years because the consumers can continue to change we're not necessarily doing these big social gatherings anymore as an example.
2: I do think, just to add one thing though is as a, the, the teams have the ability and permission to be more uh, involved with the fans' experiences beyond even the sport. Like, you know, we, we are, as On Location, we we cover sports, music, fashion, culture, every form of entertainment. We create experiences um, for all of those different platforms. And there's no reason, you know, there's there's the, the Dolphins or the Bills fans would give this, their sales or their their person who's helping them from the team, the permission to say, hey, you're a loyal fan. How about um, helping you out with a music event and stuff? You host them in your, you do that in your own venue, but you often don't extend it to the rest of their lives. And, and we, we start to do that a little bit with teams here and there, but that's an opportunity for an extension. So again, it's a big relationship, right? You're a loyal season ticket holder. That's an important commitment that goes and gives you permission to go as far-reaching.
4: Well, and, and it also re- alleviates the anxiety. I don't know, Tom, you take a bunch of sponsors on a, on a trip and then you lose the game and it's just like, ugh, right? So whereas if you can take your, your best partners and you, you provide a different experience, yeah. right, that's maybe not tied to a win or a loss of a game, yeah, that's, like, that's add Come to value. the Ryder
2: Cup with us. Yeah, we'll, take there your, you go. we'll take your sponsors yeah. with you. Yeah, Everybody, and
4: whoever wins, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> come yeah. to, you know, what? you know whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah.
3: Paul, enough shilling <laughs> for your event. All right, I'm here we go. A couple good questions from the audience. Let's get to them. You mentioned technology. What has been the most, what will be the most type of game-changing technology in the future of the fan? You know, we've talked about digital ticketing, which you talked about in the beginning. What other technologies have you seen, even in the last year, that you think have really could be game-changing going forward?
2: I think the most important piece of technology is the one that everyone carries, which is your phone, and it's every use and extension from that. So it's every platform that gets invented for your device is going to be important to you. So right now, of course, it's gone from social, NFTs, uh, gambling, um, but also customer service, giving the power of customer service into your phone so that you can have direct dialogues. With, uh,
1: with your representatives is gonna become really important. I, th- I think it's a, a little bit of a ways off, but not as far off as, as we may think. But um, spatial computing, which is sort of the next level of AR and VR, the idea that um, you know, you'll be able to sit in Hard Rock Stadium and wear a pair of glasses that is a form factor that's similar to the ones I have on, not this giant thing. And you'll look through them and see the stadium as it is but you'll watch the 1972 super bowl yes. as if it's actually playing on the field at hard rock stadium and it'll look just like you know larry zonka you know running running down the field um and then all of a sudden you know a giant dragon will fly in and you'll think it's real so the idea that <laughs> the idea that you know, spatial computing kind of taking ar to another level where it's interacting with the physical space and the constraints of the physical space you're in And the demos of this, you know, are are mind blowing, but with with five G and and the advent of that, when that becomes truly ubiquitous, I think what's possible uh, through sort of the doubling of technology in in ten years from now is going to be is going to blow our minds. You know, VR for me is you put a headset on, I can't really do it without getting dizzy. Um, I don't know if it's something in my equilibrium. I don't know, but. Uh, VR is really cool, and there's a lot of things about it that are cool, the metaverse, you know, t- creating a digital duplicate of the stadium, which we're kind of in the process of starting right now. Where that goes, I'm not really sure, but the idea that you'll be able to wear glasses like this, actually sit in, you know, New York, and your, your 20-year-old kid could be at college in uh, wherever, Ann Arbor, and you can sit together and watch, and, and all of a sudden the big screen pops up. You can make it as big or small as you want, and you look to your right, and they're sitting right there like Paul is. And you go like this, and they're not sitting there. And you go like this, uh, and they are sitting there. Uh, and you're watching a movie together as if they're sitting right next to you. Yeah. I and mean, these things are going to happen, you know, in our lifetimes, and um, and maybe maybe sooner than than, than, than we think. And uh, I think spatial computing is going to have a huge impact on everything.
0: I agree a hundred percent with uh, with what Tom is That's saying. Except about
1: uh, blockchain ticketing. That's right, uh. for that one. no,
0: but I, I mean, listen. Um, you know, we have two young boys, five and eight, and uh, they love Minecraft, and this—that's—that's that's how they engage with each other. And I—and I believe, as you're saying, with the spatial computing and the AR VR, that exactly what you said. I agree 100%. And that's—I don't know what the timing is. Uh, But but I think that's where we're going and I think that's great as we talk about currently fans who can't get to the game Right or aren't able to go to the game for whatever host of reasons Um, You know a lot of people are going to be able to experience the game as if they are there or at least with other people they won't be alone watching Game of Thrones and um, But in but in this case There will be a different it won't feel as good. It feels great to go to a game. The energy at a game is amazing, right? So it'll be it'll be different, but it'll allow and extend the the experience. I'm assuming the the virtual
4: the the metaverse of a stadium is cheaper than actually building one. <laughs> <laughs> so is that, I I so I I hope that doesn't I hope that doesn't I hope that doesn't happen. Your
3: stadium will still be very very effective <laughs> right. and relevant. Trust me. Yes, I do like the technologies that you were talking about. And this question here is really good. You've all been to so many global events and different global sports. Is there one thing you can take? From an international sports event and how they treat fans, that should be applied to U.S. sport. I mean, the only thing Uh, I could think of, F1 gets unbelievable access, which you have the Miami Grand Prix, unbelievable access to the um, to the pits. Right.
1: Yeah, I think I think racing in the United States is sort of was you know NASCAR certainly is all about inclusivity. You know, F1 historically was about exclusivity. I I think. I think Liberty Media has done a great job of, of uh, taking F1 to kind of the next level in terms of in- in- inclusivity and, and where that sport is headed right now. Look, like we have the Miami Grand Prix, you know, crypto.com, Miami Grand Prix coming to, uh, to Miami in May and we're very excited about it. You know, we've tried to take really the stadium itself and create a campus now with the training facility, the tennis center with the Miami Open coming in a couple weeks here and then the Miami Grand Prix in May, it's really become this sort of entertainment campus, and I kind of envision it when you come out, usually if you go to a race, uh, you kind of go to your seat in a a, a grandstand, or if you have a grounds pass, you go sit in the grass somewhere, and you kind of experience it the same way all weekend. I'd like people to come and open up this map, almost like Disneyland, and be able to say, where do you want to go, because there's so much to do. If you think about all the best restaurants in Miami, which is sort of the center of the hospitality industry right now, Uh, Carbone, Swan, Komodo, like they'll all be at the at the race Um, and there's and there's so many different hospitality experiences so many different ways to view the view the racetrack and view the race um, that you could almost go every day and never experience everything there is to experience and so that's what we're trying to create is this almost Disneyland experience where where do you want to go today because there's so much to do and we can't get it all in which is very different.
3: Any other learnings from international sport that you think could be applied to US?
2: I actually think it's the, re- if it's okay, I actually yeah. think it's the reverse it in some works. ways. I think uh, the, the US-based sports have all started to innovate in ways that the global sports haven't, are, are starting to do. Um, you know, we're, we're the hospitality partner for the Olympics, as an example, and I'm watching the evolution of what we're building for Paris and Milan as being largely driven by some of the experiences that they saw around the NFL. I'm also seeing great innovations by UFC, another one of our partners, and how they're being, giving more access and more insights to their, their fans. We just announced this uh, last week, our partnership with the WWE. That's an incredible entertainment product. That's an incredible organization who understands fans and builds those fans' experiences. Those kinds of things is what I think the rest of the world is taking notice of and saying, how do we capture more of that? Um, they, the global sports especially global football has a opportunity to have a rabid fan base but uh, the US based sports have really built an engagement with those fans in a different way I my man
3: Zach says five minutes left this says eight but we're gonna go with Zach's timer <laughs> Jessica Gelman said I could come moderate but I did ask her if I could end the panel with some quick hitter questions so I always try to have a little bit fun at the end and Paul Before you move on from the Olympics, if anybody in this room thinks the Olympics are dead or mired in uh, kind of a tough spot, to his point, Paris in 24 could be an
2: unbelievable, should be an unbelievable. I can assure you that the Olympics are not dead or mired. I I think it's just the opposite. But... Do you have a question? Well,
3: I, no, no, I don't think that's quite the opposite. But I don't think it's a—it's I, I, not a buy—it's not a—it's not a its not a whole its a, well, it's a whole problem. Here's,
2: here's what it is: the Olympics is more than a sport. It's a combination of many sports. It's also a celebration of the world. But the host markets make a big difference. Paris, of course, 2024 is going to be an incredible host city, as will LA 28, um, because they know how to entertain and they have so much culture. And opportunities that go beyond what happens on the quarter field. Uh, and that, 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 I think, I think Paris 2024 is gonna give a level of excitement for the Olympics that we haven't seen in a long time.
3: All right, so I'm gonna ask the panelists to keep their uh, answers to a sentence, please. First off, a lot of students in this room, your advice to students who want to have a successful career in sports business is, Paul, I'll start with you.
2: Uh, I I would say, first of all, lean in hard and be curious uh, and connect, meet as many people in the industry as you
1: possibly can, um, but be curious. Tom, Uh, go where you can learn and produce results. Don't worry about the linear nature of, of career progression. Yes.
0: Have gratitude. There's people who have been here before you and there's people to learn from uh, who, who you haven't met yet, uh, but be, be thankful for the opportunity and, uh, and patient.
4: Yeah. Um, it's a journey and everything you learn along the way, you may not know how it all fits into what you want to do, but, it, but I guarantee you're going to use it someday.
3: I'm going to start with Tom Garfinkel. Outside of a sport you're invested in now, a growth sport you're watching is uh, international soccer.
2: Jess. Pickleball. Interesting. Tennis.
0: Yeah. tennis, tennis,
3: of course,
2: good. <laughs> yeah, i sorry to be boring. Um, soccer, soccer, right, global got, soccer, or MLS what? even uh, both I think it's I think global soccer is going to be incorporating <laughs> MLS and everything. I think that's a fast growing sport that's going to be huge. This one for Jessica Gelman Again, will do the loop. The person in sports business.
3: You're watching most closely, and why is?
0: I mean, I did get to pick who is on the panel. It's these guys. <laughs> They're each doing really innovative and unique things in different ways: building a stadium, hosting F1, doing the relationship with the Olympics.
3: Kim Pagula, who's an interesting person in sports
4: business, you're watching. Um, Commissioner Goodell. Yeah, he's worth watching. Yes, he's a lot worth going watching. On, so yeah, yeah, definitely uh, worth watching. Paul.
2: Um, I, I actually work for the commissioner, so I should probably say him too. But I, I um, <laughs> um, Michael Rubin. Huh? I, I would say, you know, first of all, that panel this morning was extraordinary. Jessica, you did an incredible job of them. But uh, he really is very much in the center of the future of uh, all sports.
1: I was actually going to say Michael. so uh, I'll say uh, Stefano Domenicali, okay?
3: CEO of F1. Very important. Very uh, hot property right now. A question here, uh, finish this one for me. I'll start with Kim. The sports industry needs to do a better job of?
4: Oh, uh, do a better job of, of being proactive and not reactionary.
2: Paul. Think beyond sports. Um, sometimes the sports industry could be very insular. And I think that you have to recognize that the world of sport is, is much wider than sports itself. Tom diverse hiring practices and jess
0: promoting women
2: promoting women
3: very good and i'll probably end on one more lighter one but anyone take a shot you may not want to answer is tom brady retired
2: (laughs) paul i'll start with you one million percent no because i'm also part of endeavor and they represent tom and i can tell you that tom tom is not he may retire from football but he's never
1: retiring Okay.
2: Tom Garfinkel, will Tom Brady play an NFL game ever
1: again? I don't know, but he's selling a lot of pants right now. <laughs> <laughs> follow him on Instagram and he's selling a lot of NFTs and pants, so I, don't, I have no idea. Have you, brought Only them, Tom have, you, have you bought any Brady pants? I have not yet. Okay. They look pretty comfortable, though. Oh, you'll
3: comfortable. have to tell us how those look yeah. and how those feel. Jess Gellman, will he play an NFL game again?
0: No. He's too busy with all of his other activities and endeavors.
3: And Kim Pagula, knowing his record against the Bills, <laughs> you certainly hope he doesn't play. I hope play. yes,
4: yes. You, against us, now You know what? I I'm going to say that he may because there is so much advancements in health and wellness, which which you know he's he's big on. And until you see those retirement papers come through, mm-hmm. that that opportunity still exists. I could I could see him being the first one to to leave and come back three years later.
3: I'm. Um, can I? I'm gonna, can I answer one? Yeah, okay. yes. so I'm going to say I'm with Kim Pagula. He'll play another NFL game. How about in the audience? Uh, clap your hands if you think he plays another NFL game. Yeah. Clap your hands. If you think he plays an NFL game as against the Buffalo well, no. as a quarterback <laughs> of the New England Patriots. OK, That's I just,
4: <laughs> how about for the
3: Miami Dolphins? Yeah. OK, see. Well, listen, what a great panel. These uh, four individuals are spectacular. Get to know them.